Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Todd Babel about how flexibility is redefining the way businesses hire. Todd Babel, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, John. It's great to be here today. Uh, very excited uh, about our topic today and having this conversation. Yes, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Florida. Normally, you're from the Northeast. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today, we're going to be talking about how flexibility is redefining the way businesses hire. Uh, always an important topic, I think, but really over just the last couple of years, it's become even more important with more distributed uh, teams, virtual teams. Now, you know, some are moving more back into a hybrid kind of arrangement. So we need flexibility in the workplace itself. But because of the tight labor market uh, right now, and it's it's really an employee market, there's so many options. And so if you want to attract and retain really great people, you have to not only have that flexibility in the workplace itself, but you need to have flexibility built into hiring recruitment and hiring practices also. So that's what we're going to be unpacking and exploring together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Todd's bio with everybody. Todd Babel is co-founder, president, and CEO of Integrity Staffing Solutions, a national staffing agency specializing in serving large, high-volume fulfillment facilities of leading online and traditional retailers. Todd has been guiding the firm's growth through innovation, perseverance, and teamwork for 25 years. He has piloted Integrity through double-digit growth since founding the company and has successfully launched some of the most extensive high-volume RPO and contingent staffing engagements in the U.S., in 2022, Integrity continued its march towards the future as it has been ranked by staffing industry and analysts as the 13th largest industrial staffing firm and the fifth largest recruitment process outsourcing firm in the U.S. Babel guides Integrity's efforts to positively impact its internal staff and field teams' lives through award-winning initiatives like Project Home, which assists in cases of homelessness. Again, it's a pleasure to have you, Todd. Thank you so much for joining me. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in further? Well, you know, I, I come from an interesting perspective in, in uh, recruitment and in hiring. Uh, I've been in the industry 30 plus years. Uh, this is Integrity's 25th year anniversary, so we're really proud uh, of that accomplishment. Um, but I started in the industry as a temporary employee. 
that's how I learned the industry. And so it's, it's a pretty interesting uh, perspective to move through every position into uh, creating uh, uh, the integrity organization along with uh, uh, our co-founders. So it's been quite a ride. Yes, and 25 years is a great accomplishment for any organization, and it's a long time to be in the space. I, I'm curious, before we really dive on into the current state of affairs and the flexibility that's needed, uh, maybe you can give us a, a quick overview of the long arc of developments in the space over the last quarter century. Oh, boy. Well, I, you know, uh, in the last 25 years, if if we look at one of the things that I find fascinating is uh some things have remained absolutely the same. Organ the way that organizations uh, utilize uh, uh, labor uh, in in many ways is very very similar uh, to how it was uh, 25 years ago. Now, how we get to that point or how we get through that hiring cycle has changed dramatically. Uh, you know, we we used to uh, you know have interviews only. Face to face, we used to have paper applications, uh, very long processes between the hiring managers and and the agency or even internal. And now, uh, you know, processes are moving to a lot of automation in the front end to speed up the process to ensure that uh, people are engaged quickly. Uh, you now do interviews virtually. Uh, some are uh, using AI. I in the in the virtual interview process, which is really fascinating. And so really it's it's a huge quantum shift. And what's interesting is I think the pace of change is moving at a pace that that is exponentially faster than what we've seen in the first, let's say, 15 of those 25 years. And in the last three of those 25 years, We've seen change, uh, I think, really driven by COVID uh, and uh, the in businesses having to move at a pace of change that that probably would have taken five more years to get there. Uh, but I, I think that uh, the last few years have really driven change uh, even faster. So. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, the acceleration into the future of work and all these changes, the utilization of disruptive technologies, those technologies were there. They, you know, they've been there for a while. Distributed remote teams is nothing new. Virtual hiring processes isn't new, but the number of organizations fully utilizing those technologies was still, you know, relatively small and many were resisting the change. And COVID just kind of forced them to grapple with that and either get on board and move forward and figure it out, learn how to use it, or they're going to become obsolete, right? And so that's what we've seen over the last couple of years. And I agree. I, I think, you know, over the last few years, we've seen, you know, what would have taken a decade has just happened in a couple of years. And the, the rate of change has just accelerated. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to see how things move forward in the next couple of years, next five years, next 10 years. Um, but amidst all that change, as you mentioned, over the last 25 plus years, the fundamentals of, of what goes into a hiring decision have primarily stayed the same, right? You still do, you know, you have an application, you have a resume, you do interviews, maybe job sampling, uh, those sorts of things. And then ultimately you make a decision and you hope it works out. And 
you know, frankly, there's a lot of research on this that a lot of hiring decisions don't work out. So, so the question is, how do we make sure we do that better? How do we make sure that we're not being biased during the process so that we're not having diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, you know, so we're actually getting a diverse staff of, of the best people. Um, but also, you know, how do we make sure that we're looking for the right things so that we're asking the right questions, doing, you know, having the right screening processes. So we're getting people with the actual skills, competencies, and cap capabilities into the right seats to do the work that needs to be done to help us innovate and move into the future. That's the big question, right? And that's what companies have always struggled with. That's what they're likely always going to struggle with. And uh, so then it comes down to how do, how do we reframe the way we think about the hiring process to be more flexible, more agile, and more adaptive to the shifting nature of the workplace itself. Any, any thoughts on, on really first steps that organizations need to be doing as they're trying to, to wade into this space? Now, again, recognizing we have major, you know, huge Fortune 100 companies, multinational firms, they're investing tons of time and money into this, but 80% of people in the U.S. work for small companies, right? 80% um, of the workforce is in small business. And so small businesses aren't necessarily putting the same type of energy and resources into all of these processes. And, and it's showing it, and they're hurting and they're struggling to attract and retain good people. Uh, so with all that said, I've been monologuing for the last couple of minutes. What do we do about this? And what are some of the ways uh, that your organization helps with this? Uh, we can provide more flexibility in the hiring process. Yeah, it's interesting because it's. I, I think John that the 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 challenge is amplified as you stated by the talent shortage, right? And that talent shortage isn't going to go away. It's it's it, it may be accentuated right now, but it, this is in in many skill categories just going to continue. And so the 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 battle is real and organizations. When you think about flexibility in the hiring process, often go to uh, or in the in the uh, job market, often go to things right right away to scheduling and 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 uh, pay and in those areas. For me, I I like to recommend that you start at the top of the funnel, right? Where where you 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 first have that job or that position open up. This is a great area for organizations to take a look and say, is is that that degree that we thought was so necessary three years ago really necessary today? Is this uh, is this position uh, uh, really one that requires hybrid, or could it be completely remote? And really evaluating those expectations out of the gate, because I think times change, requirements change. We learn as we go. Um, and one of the things that we find are finding is that organizations are are uh, where in a in a warehouse environment where a high school diploma would have been absolutely necessary. Now it's not necessary. You know, organizations have realized that there's no correlation between someone's success in a warehouse position and having a high school diploma. It's just, you know, it's, it's very difficult to correlate success with that. And so dropping those requirements that really aren't necessary for the position, also looking at requirements like background checks, you know, um, 
is is your adjudication grid does it really does it really match up to what you what your organization requires to ensure safety and um and and success in your workforce right and and looking at those things drug testing you know we're seeing a huge amount of organizations drop thc from their drug testing requirements uh, across the country and you know so so making decisions about that that front end of the process and those requirements is the first step you really should start there um any 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 yeah, thoughts on I, that i think that's a really really important point uh, it's something i see all the time uh you know being in the hr space i'm also a professor and so i'm in you know i'm a full time professor i'm in the university space I believe in education and I'm trying to prepare and train my students. You know, I, I teach, you know, I run an HR program, so I'm trying to prepare them to be the next HR professionals of the future. Um, but also recognizing that many people get into HR without any formal background or training in HR, and you can also learn on the job. And so there's that, that give and that take, right. And just the realization that so many organizations have just put that, you know, either a high school degree or a college degree or this or that certification or, or whatever saying it's absolutely necessary. It's an, uh, an essential qualification. And the question always is, is it, is it really an essential qualification or another one that often shows up in job postings is, you know, three to five years of experience. Okay. That might be a nice to have, but is it actually necessary? Um, and also, how do you determine, you know, the difference between one year of really awesome experience with a really high growth curve, um, learning potential of the individual versus someone who has five years of crappy experience, you know, and so we, we just, we end up valuing, overvaluing things that don't really matter. I come back, I think about the, the, the book and then the movie Moneyball right? Huh. Like we're just, we're measuring all the wrong things, right? And we've always done it that way. So we just continue to always do it that way. And that's what I think about requirements around education, uh, certifications, requirements around years of experience. Is some of that necessary? And particularly in certain industries? Sure, absolutely. And, and you know, if you're in the medical field, of course, you're going to need, you know, there, there's oversight um, there, there's, there's compliance issues there. There's things that you have to absolutely be aware of, and you have to comply with. But if it's not absolutely necessary and you don't actually see any correlation between effective employees and, and those that aren't effective or those who stay and those who leave, then, then get rid of those arbitrary requirements and all of a sudden your pool increases dramatically. It, it's also a big issue when we, when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so yeah, I can yeah. see you, you know, pumping your fist there. You know, I think let's just take gender, for example. Um, there's lots of different categories we could talk about specifically, but let's take gender for a moment. We know that the gender gap persists in leadership and organizations. We know the pay gap persists. We know that there are so many industries that are so disproportionately male-dominated, and for a variety of reasons, that persists. And I was actually working with an organization just recently. They had a position, a high-level high position, required really high level of education, and, and legitimately so. Um, and anyways, they go through the whole process, and they end up having their pool of people to interview. They didn't have a single woman in the pool of interviewees for this position. And you, you might guess, but this department 
uh, is like 90% men. <laughs> and the hiring committee was basically all men, right? And so then you start to actually look at, well, what were the criteria that you were basing your decision-making on? And you start to look at that and you're like, well, why? why? Why do you need that thing or that thing or that thing? You're disproportionately valuing things that disproportionately men are, are going to be able to have or demonstrate and, and undervaluing things that uh, women, female candidates will have and be able to demonstrate. And so you're cutting out half of the labor pool <laughs> from yeah. the process. And it's just stupid. Uh, you're really just shooting yourself in the foot. And not only does it hurt your DEI efforts, uh, it ticks off you know, the, the few women that are in that department are just like throwing their hands up in the air. Like what is going on? We, no, no matter what we do, we can't uh, get more gender balance. And it's just problem after problem after problem. So like you said, for all those reasons, you said, let's open it up. Let's, let's only have criteria that matter, that actually make a difference, get rid of all the other stuff. And that means we might have to prune back what we've traditionally done and make it more flexible and open so we can attract a much wider pool of qualified candidates. And again, qualified in, ter in terms that actually matter. Absolutely. And <clears throat> I, I think that this is, the, I don't, I do, I believe there has been no better time than now for companies to start looking at across all roles, how you create your own internal pipelines, whether that's through apprenticeships. Apprenticeship programs, I think, have so much potential and are underutilized uh, in so many areas across the U.S. I'm, I'm currently working on a project right now, uh, really looking at how we can begin introducing apprenticeship models. What was the, the typical apprenticeship model into today's business world? And, and companies are in many positions are going to have, really have to start looking at that hard because the talent as they define it that they're looking for doesn't exist and the numbers don't add up to, to their future need. And so somewhere, somehow you start have to start creating that pipeline. And I think that will create a great opportunity to uh, really impact uh, uh, DE&I efforts. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, the numbers aren't there. Like we, you, you could shoot for the stars, have all this long list, this checklist of all these requirements. Good luck with that. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I, I hear about people um, who, who are looking for a partner, they're looking for a spouse, and they have this big laundry list of all these expectations before they'll even consider it. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe you'll find that dream person. But more than likely, you're just going to be disappointed <laughs> because right. your expectations don't line up with reality, right? And so in large part, you know, organizations, hiring managers just need to get in line with reality. Um, and that, I, that's one message, I think, from what you were just sharing and reskilling and upskilling your current workforce. Um, so not always just automatically going external to look for th that talent because it's not there. Or if it is there, it's going to be really expensive to acquire. And then you don't even know if it's going to be a good fit just because they have the technical skills, competencies, and capabilities to be successful in your organization doesn't mean they're actually going to have the mindset, the cultural fit, uh, the personal organization fit, all those other things that are equally as important uh, when looking at long-term viability of a candidate, you know, to, to really work well with the team and work well within an organization. So absolutely, let's look at all of those, those sorts of things as we move forward. Um, now, we've, we've also talked, you know, about over the last couple of years with the pandemic and more di distributed teams, more virtual work. Um, how can we build, you know, this flexibility 
into continued virtual workspaces, hybrid work spaces, and have a high, hybrid workforce um, that actually helps you in your recruitment and hiring processes to help you compete better in the long run. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Well, I, yeah, I think I think one of the things that organizations are finding is if they can create a remote position, they they mitigate their risk of not finding talent uh, and increase their talent pool exponentially right out of the gate. So, so first and foremost, I think that especially for very difficult to fill roles, you you have to figure out how to create a hybrid or or in most cases a remote. Uh, work environment. And, you know, a lot of organizations are really struggling with that. And, and, but it is something that uh, creates great competitive advantage uh, right out of the gate. Um, I, I think for those positions where it's challenging is really then leaning in and looking at what parts of the process require that in-person uh, interaction and how can you can is there automation that can be put in place is there technology that can be used to bridge that gap uh, because organizations that aren't looking in that direction that are saying these are positions that will you know never be able to be remote or hybrid in any way someone else is figuring that out yeah, I think that's very, very well said. Um, and it, 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 you know, I get it. I, I get there's value in being in person and there's things that are hard to replicate in a virtual setting. That's why, you know, hybrid arrangements can be really nice because you can get the best of both worlds. Uh, but again, to your point, if you can have either a hybrid or even a fully remote 
position, uh, you all of a sudden you break down any geographical barriers to hiring and you literally have the entire labor pool throughout the world <laughs> as potential candidates for your positions. No longer are you just looking for the best person in your metro area, someone who's willing to commute within a, you know, a certain distance, but you literally can have almost anybody if you have good recruitment um, plans and, and, and you know, as long as they can fit with the time frame, the time difference and those sorts of things. There's really not much other limitations to it. And can you, even if someone's completely remote, can you build in times where they can still fly in maybe once or twice a year for on-site uh, week-long intensive visits or, or things? So you can still have team building, you can still have relationship development, you can still have some of those other types of components that maybe happen more organically when we're in the office altogether, um, but kind of start to go away when someone's remote. There's lots of different ways we can approach this. And again, if, if we can just take a, a step back and examine, just like we talked about with the requirements for a job that go on a job posting. Is that really necessary? Let's also take a step back and take a second look at, you know, the physical requirements for the job. Like, do you actually have to be in person eight to five uh, or more, right? In many jobs, you know, we're expecting 50, 60 plus hours a week. Do you really have to be in person to do that? And in most cases, I just think the last two years has demonstrated no. The, the answer is no. Obviously, in some occupations and some types of jobs, the answer is yes. But in the knowledge economy, in the modern world of work, the vast majority of knowledge workers don't need to be in person, at least the majority of the time. So let's open that up. Let's be more flexible. Let's challenge our old notions. Uh, you know, is it really, really absolutely essential? And if it's not, let's at least experiment with it and try to open things up a bit more. I really like your point about experimenting. And I think that's that's where we're starting out with, with a position or if you if you think about someone coming in entry level, right, into, into an organization, a lot of the learning and engagement happens organically through interacting, listening to their peers, uh, interactions that occurred during the day. And a lot of the fear is that that learning gets suppressed because now rather than sitting in a in a bullpen with with a number of other workers you're now sitting at home separated so you you really miss that organic but there there are ways uh that uh you know we're working uh diligently on creating side by side uh uh work arrangements over virtually with customer service representatives where you, they can work side by side virtually. They can listen into the other conversations. They can jump in and help one another. There are ways to move through that so that the experience for the, for the person coming into the organization is different, but equally as enriching as the experience that was uh, in person. So I think there's opportunity there. And I think taking risks and uh, really leaning into those opportunities, those organizations will be the most successful. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, Todd, this has just been a really fun conversation. We've only scratched the surface. I know we could go a lot deeper, uh, but I know you'll have to go in a few minutes here. So before we wrap up the conversation for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. 
Absolutely. Uh, you can find uh, uh, me at Todd at integritystaffing.com. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, uh, Twitter, and uh, all, all social media. So you can find me there. You can find our organization at www.integritystaffing.com. And, you know, I, I think that to, to wrap up today's conversation, it's all about uh, taking risks and questioning the status quo, thinking about uh, shifts within your building, uh, thinking about uh, the work patterns that naturally have been uh, part of uh, work, that's all changing. And really allowing yourself to question what's possible and, you know, are alternative shift patterns the uh, something that you can try in, an, in a new area to really move your business forward and open, create, ensure that your business is looked at as an employer of choice and one that considers all of the options and opportunities that uh, people require today. Yes, yes. Becoming an employer of choice, focusing on employee experience, all of those then become a really good recruitment tool because people talk, people, people know the good organizations to work for, and they know what has been frustrating in the past. One of the reasons why we, you know, we title this the great resignation, the great reevaluation, the great reawakening, whatever term you want to use is because so many people over the last couple of years have just realized, you know what, I don't want to do this crappy job with this crummy organization. I have options. I'm going to go look somewhere else. And so some of it's about pay. Some of it's even, you know, about flexibility specifically, but a lot of it's just about culture. It's about work uh, environment and flexibility really helps with all of that. Uh, and it, it just makes you more uh, friendly towards the employee experience. And it just increases the chances of you attracting or and retaining great people. Todd, this has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Todd and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. They can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Check out my new book, The Future Leader, Creating and Transforming Next-Gen Organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, The Future Leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for your individuals, teams, and organizations.
the alchemy of truly remarkable leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.